Greetings, everyone. Welcome again to our cloud Zendo with its home at Alpamata, but extending, as I see from the participants, in many parts of the world, across many time zones. So let's sit for our five minutes in the beginning with a sense of um, our hearts and minds uh, linked in this world right now that's somewhat fractured and separated and contained um, for many reasons, including the pandemic. Let's allow ourselves as we sit to reach out through our imagination with our hearts and minds to allow ourselves to feel the, the deep connection to the Dharma. yourself to be settled and grounded as best you can, without so much distraction or busyness, which is easy if you're off camera. Let yourself settle. You'll be comfortable, but settled, grounded, with an open heart and a curious, open mind, full of awareness and presence, just sitting. In this final minute of sitting, turn your attention back to your embodied sense of being grounded. If that's something that's not in your awareness at the moment, feel your body sitting or lying however you're resting in the moment for your practice, I call it sitting, but open your awareness, your senses, your imagination to the fullness of the moment as, as best you can. And feel a warm hearted presence for yourself and everyone around the world. Those listening, those not. And imagine what it's like as I sound the bell to continue certainly during our time together but maybe even through your day 
always coming back to being grounded, always waking up to the awareness that is with you on your side all the time, feeling the possibility that presence offers you, both for your own well-being and those around you. What if we didn't lose this as the bell rang? And to encourage this embodiment, we will um, recite the verse of the robe together. Please enjoy saying it out loud with me. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. During this time through the summer, I began speaking about um, the chants that we do, including the one we just did, because I realized there were so many people who were new and were unfamiliar with them. I've also heard from many of you who are... um, more seasoned students or have been around for a while that you enjoyed the, uh, the reminders, uh, dipping back into the teachings that surround um, these small verses and chants. So I, I didn't set out to do this, but it seems that through the summer, since it's as if we've been in our, um, our homes, um, sequestered away in, in large part, and it's become kind of a retreat, and these uh, become a series of a sequence of Dharma talks, uh, which form the retreat they were in right now. It's summer class or a seminar or review of, of practice. And it's been uh, helpful to me, actually, for my own practice, and I hope it has been, been for you. These chants and verses I think of as like small condensed packets of information, teachings. Um, They would be in a curriculum like modules um, that contain an immense amount of teachings of wisdom and compassion uh, when they're opened up. And my concern is not that you become a Buddhist or a student of Zen. That's not really the important thing. The important thing is that these teachings and our gatherings and the inquiry when we share together become ways of uh, waking up to what we do, as Diane Rosetto says in her book on the 
precepts, waking up to what we do, how we live our life. And so we could live it with um, more intention, certainly, and focus, but a kind of intention and focus that's also uh, warm-hearted and wise, uh, not an intention or focus on causing harm or uh, manipulation or things that we sometimes see around us these days, but with apamata, with diligent care, with mindful care. <clears throat> I will um, go through the series uh, because each time I have heard from so many people that the repetition is useful. This is what we do, of course, when we're in a, a temple or everyday zendo as we come to, um, to sit and we chant. And then day after day, week after week, it slowly these things seep into you and they um, you don't even set out to memorize them, but they become part of who you are, part of your bones, part of your life, and then will come to you. So let's engage just a brief review again so we can feel the arc. Because today, what I'd like to focus on are two small uh, chants, which are just part of something larger. They're part of the ceremony that we do when people um, take the precepts, which is they take on... Um, a set of um, vows or ethical directions for how to live their life. Um, every tradition, every wisdom tradition has them. Uh, fundamentals like don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't misuse sexuality, don't intoxicate yourself. Things like this which offer us a possibility of living a wholesome life. And in Buddhism, they're not... Um, rules that you pass or fail. They're not commandments that one should do. They're like a lattice work where we um, notice, are we in alignment with our greatest good? Are we staying aligned with our deepest vow, our inmost request, our, our way of being wholesome? So in that ceremony where someone says, I think I'm going to officially take these as a way to live my life. There is a very small verse in the beginning and a very small verse at the end, which caps it. And I want to speak about those today to talk about beginnings and endings, about entry and exit, about inhale and exhale, about birth and death, this rhythm that we set ourselves in. But first, Let's see where these are positioned within um, the chants that we've been reviewing. So here's your um, uh, review. I'm going to share my screen here again so you can uh, take, a, take a look at them. <clears throat> if you will remember, we start with um, the verse of the Han, which calls us to practice. Great is the matter of birth and death. All is impermanent, quickly passing, awake, awake, don't waste this precious life. And if the circumstances of our world and our lives right now don't sound like the sharp report from Mahan, then you're not really listening. This is the great matter. We're realizing the impermanence of everything. Nothing as solid as we thought it might be. So to wake up and to not waste the precious life that we have being so overwhelmed with a life that we don't have. This offers us a possibility of taking a deeper look and understanding ourselves more fully. So we chant um, 
the verse of the robe in the beginning of our time together, at the end of Zazen, vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of ineffection. And we chanted that already three times to help us realize the one true nature that I put it here early on because it comes early on in a day of, of sitting. But when we begin our um, usual services, we start with repentance or confession, accepting what we arrive with and arrive to. That all my ancient twisted or tangled karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. I stand up in the middle of my life and admit who I am so that I can work with what I have. And we chanted three times all our ancient twisted karma because we're in this together, all the ancient twist, the fabric of life. And this is the way we begin to say, yes, I'm willing to face this. I'm willing to face myself. I'm willing to be wholeheartedly in the center of this practice with everyone else. What we practice with when we arrive in that center are the four practice principles. Caught in the self-centered dream, we realize uh, creates only suffering. And as we hold to our thoughts and ideas and dreams and expectations and views, we realize we recreate that dream over and over. But if we turn toward each moment in life just like it is, we have an opportunity to learn, to respond appropriately, to be fully in the moment, which is the way of commission, of meeting the difficulties and the beauty of each moment. Those principles take us through refuge to know where to rest, where to place our faith. And Buddha, in our own wakefulness, in Dharma, in the teachings of the way the things actually are, and in Sangha, in our community. And we chanted three times with the beautiful uh, poetic versions in the, the middle, and then realizing that by doing so, we're encouraging all being to take refuge in their nature, in the nature of things, in the nature of our healing relationships. The capping vow for it all is the Bodhisattva vow. We chant that, although beings are numberless, I vow to free them all. Although delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them all. Although Dharma gates are opportunities for practice never cease, I vow to enter them as they arrive. And the way of awakening, Buddha's way, is unsurpassable. I vow to embody it, to take this on. And we know this is something we can't do ourselves, so we chant it a second time as a relational practice. And then the profound chanting that beings are numberless and this vow frees them all. We understand the power of the vow to end inexhaustible delusions, to enter boundless dharma gates, and to embody an incomparable way of practice. So this is where we've come to so far. This is the arc. <clears throat> when we enter the ceremony that I mentioned earlier, it's like entering a temple. Uh, I took this photograph in uh, the, a temple in Japan. And as one walks into the public space of the temple, there's a place to make offerings, to either offer incense, a, a very traditional offering, or the little slotted place you can see behind, that's where coins and bills can fall through. So you can offer donations to the temple. 
It's a way of making, offering yourself and offering support and then being supported and met by what you find in the temple. So here is the beginning verse. In a much more complex ceremony, at the beginning of um, this ceremony, we see these lines. Invoking the presence and compassion of our ancestors and faith that we are Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. Now, it may sound a little esoteric in a certain way, but look at the profound assumption. In faith that we are Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. Most of us enter practice thinking we are very, very far away from being an awakened being. And so we hope to practice to someday reach or accomplish or become or whittle away defilements or in some way discover something that seems almost impossible. But then this small line in the beginning, we're called up short in faith that we are Buddha. We enter Buddha's way in faith that our true nature is the same nature of every awakened being in all wakefulness of the universe. And because it's a traditional ceremony, it says invoking the presence and compassion of our ancestors, resting on all those who have gone before us, all those who have practiced before us. We're not alone. We have an immense wave of practice behind us that's carrying us forward like I see the surfers here in Hawaii, invoking the presence and compassion of our ancestors and in faith that we are Buddha. That's our entryway. We've got tons of support. We already have what we need. That's the entry point. And this is important to remember. Otherwise, we get caught in the self-centered dream, which is I'm lacking, I'm frail, I'm not that, I never will be. Other people are, but not me. No, invoking the presence, compassion of all those who have supported us and gone before us, and in faith that our nature is a wakefulness, then we enter practice, which helps us unfold and express and deepen that reality. These are the offerings we make in the beginning to enter the temple, to enter our life, to enter relationships. And at the end of the ceremony, there's a little verse that caps that ceremony, which I've always loved. We live like a cloud in an endless sky, like a lotus in muddy water. One with the pure mind of Buddha. We live like a cloud in an endless sky. We live knowing that we are present but there's, it's ephemeral. A cloud is in some ways is not an actual thing. It's a coming together of conditions which forms this beautiful thing which has vitality and dynamics. And we can see it's beautiful or it's dark. It can be stormy. But it's free within this vast space. And we live in this vast space of wakefulness like a cloud in an endless sky. But also like the lotus in muddy water. The lotus which is the symbol of awakening, only grows in muddy, mucky water. It doesn't grow in fresh water. Only by putting our roots down into our embodied, everyday, 
messy reality of being a human, can the blossom open and show who we are. So we're both like a cloud in an endless sky. That's a rel uh, reference to sort of the absolute, the sublime. And like a lotus in muddy water, like the relative or the mundane, the everydayness. But they are actually one thing, not two. With the pure mind or pure heart, I would say, of Buddha. And it's also why I've <clears throat> added this everyday photo of one of our beautiful Sangha members. And Julianne, I've, I've used the photo before because I just love the way that it captures an ordinary moment, having coffee with the Buddha. This is our one with the pure mind of Buddha, where we end at the sequence, end of all this sequence isn't some esoteric place. We're home in an ordinary life, in an ordinary way, practicing in a way that calls forward the extraordinary, that in invoking the presence of our ancestors. She's got the Buddha at her back there. In faith that we are Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. And at the end of the ceremony, we live like a cloud in an endless sky. We go forward realizing our essential freedom, like a lotus in muddy water, one with the pure mind of Buddha. Just going to take this away so I can see. So I hope that these uh, ways of understanding our entry point and the way that we carry forward in life based on all of these things is, um, is helpful to you. In fact, I, I actually want to show you one more thing. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to, to be clumsy. <clears throat> uh, let's, uh, thank you for your patience. Because this is actually uh, uh, quite, quite important. Understanding this, what seems like a dual nature, which is actually a one nature. Chanting these chants in the sequence that we have. Last time I did show you uh, this image. Uh, and I was talking about the qualities of a bodhisattva and the practices of a bodhisattva and the ways in which even on a psychological level we're talking about these same wholesome practices which allow us to free all beings since we're, we're in this together, whether it's inside or outside. But, but this is why we're actually doing this. All of this, once again, is not so you become a good Buddhist or you become a student of Zen or because you become some elevated being. It's simply for the development of character of wholesome character, which is so profoundly in short supply and needed 
in our world today. If we could live with more loving kindness, more unconditional friendliness around us, instead of suspicion and hatred. If we could live with more compassion, in other words, with more a sympathetic and empathic response to suffering around us, instead of self-centeredness, more equanimity and balance, rather than reactivity and lashing out, more sympathetic joy, which is the joy to see other people happy and free. If we could practice generosity as we enter the temple of each day in an ethical way, following the precepts, basic goodness, cultivating patience and diligence in all that we do because we've practiced concentration, we practice meditation and wisdom, then we might manifest through our lives the connectedness and curiosity, the compassion and clarity, calmness, courage, confidence and creativity of what it means to have character. And you can see why I wanted to come back to this. I almost, I almost forgot it. I, it's odd that I would because it's really the, the capstone of why we would want to realize our nature as Buddha as we enter our practices and carry forward both understanding our nature as uh, Buddhas and as grounded human beings. So we'll come back again. <clears throat> so once again, I know I've given you quite a bit and uh, hopefully um, added to the story but with the repetition of the story, the story becomes our story of being called to practice, looking deeply, realizing where we can find refuge through practice, looking at how we create suffering and can relieve suffering, how to embody it, take it on like the robe, how we can carry it forward as a bodhisattva into the world, and how we can remember that we are supported by so many practitioners that have come before us and we can carry it forward into the world with, uh, with grace, with character. Because we can see those moments in each other. We see it during inquiry, which will start now. Please raise your hand. Um, we can see the way in which people have courage uh, and character in bringing themselves forward uh, for the benefit of not only their own difficulties, but, but those around them. So let's, uh, let's meet. I was hoping we might see you. You're muted there. How are you doing? I still can't hear you. I don't know what the thing is. It doesn't look like you're muted, but I'm not sure why there's no sound. And the little microphone options, are there ways you need to connect to something different? Small tech support here. <laughs> I'll say to those listening, 
that last week or a bit before Clayton was diagnosed with COVID-19, so she's been ill. It's good to see you upright and smiling. But do you want to work it out and then come back? Okay, great. This is really good just to see that you're, and, and is your daughter doing okay? Okay, good. So we're leaving to see her because I know she's quite ill. <clears throat> Welcome, Catherine. There we go. And you're muted as well. Let's see. There you are. So lovely to see you. It is so lovely to see you, Flynn. And I just wanted to say how good it is to hear to hear everything over and over. <laughs> <laughs> and that each time it strikes for me, each time something strikes me differently. And I think, oh, yes, um, it's just very helpful. Good. I'm glad. I, f I felt like I, I didn't want people to feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over. Um, but what I wanted to do is it's almost like um, a loom where we're weaving and a pattern emerges and something becomes useful and possible. Yeah. Oh, but each thread, each time is the image that I had in my mind. I hope that's the case. Yeah, I feel I, I am, I'm different every time I hear it. Mm -hmm. So different things land. So am I, <laughs> every time I say it. <laughs> and I, I, will, I will take this opportunity because we have a larger audience to say that, that Catherine has been invited and actually has begun to operate as head student in the larger UK sanghas, but specifically in um, the, the Sheffield uh, Sangha. Um, and we'll have a, a ceremony to acknowledge that uh, soon. Uh, but because I couldn't go in the spring, it, it became a little awkward. We've done our best, but um, I hear so much appreciation from people already about what you're offering, Catherine, and I'm immensely grateful. Thank you for that. So I'm afraid you might have frozen up there. Or, or you're speechless in another way. <laughs> so due to technical difficulties, we may have to step to the next person again. But it's nice to see uh, Catherine's beautiful smile. And Jessica, could you help with going to the next person? There we go. Catherine is such a long-term student and she's uh, been really helpful in leading the Sangha there. Clayton, you have a voice now? Can you hear me? 
I can. Yay! Yeah, it's sort of like COVID. You lose your voice and you get it back. Huh? I got it back. I'm so happy. Um, I am so happy I had the cough. Hold on. <coughs> um, I am so glad to see y'all. I really wanted to um, make it last week, but I, I've been so sleepy and I've been sleeping through everything. Um, but getting to be here now has been a nice reminder of um, some of the things I wish I hadn't been doing as I've been lying in bed, looking up stuff and Googling, um, like what it means if this hurts and what it means if I'm this tired. And it's been very scary to spend all your time reading stupid thing. I mean, I know the internet's useful, but I got this great advice from both uh, Robin mm -hmm. and uh, Sandra. And Robin's was stop, stop looking stuff up because it's really scary. <laughs> and then the other thing that's really hard too is just, you know, Sandra telling you not to be afraid. But it's just hard when you can't breathe very well. And, um, but so I'm trying, it's been really great not looking stuff up on the internet <laughs> and um, trying not to be afraid is hard. But um, Sandra, I think, that, I think it's very hard not to be afraid on your own. It's hard. We have to hold on to the non-fear of those around us. Yeah. On your own, really hard. It's like um, a, a, an essential life rope, actually, because yes. Yes. I can't even see my family. And so, um, although I can't see my daughter because she's the one who gave it to me. So um, we get to hang out. But um, the essentialness of other people, I mean, nobody knows, and I know that nobody knows, but other people helping me not worry so much has been really helpful. Yeah, it's really like a hand holding you so you don't go under. I don't mean die, but just not go under. Yeah, it's been, it's been shitty. Um, Are Scott and Harry okay? Yeah, they're fine. They moved out over like a week ago and are fine. Um, and I'm just going to knock on wood. Um, but the other thing is that I feel like I am getting, I am going to get better. And so, but when your lungs are not working very well and you worry about all the other, all the other people. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm pretty, pretty healthy and it's just so sad. But, um, so Sandra, has had me work on my acupressure points to help open up my chest. And uh -huh. so it's kind of nice because, sorry, I'm crying, but it may, I'm, I'm so, just, yeah. so are a lot of other people right now, Clayton. Okay. But it's just very touching because I put my fingers there and I can feel Sandra and mm -hmm. Robin and you and everyone else who's been so sweet. Because um, 
I'm lucky I have people out there like y'all. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of people don't. I know. That's part of what you're saying, I know, is that you feel fortunate in that regard. I do. So I, I just wanted to say I'm okay. Whew. And you're healing and we'll keep sending our healing love to you. Thank you. I'm going in for chest x-rays after this because they worry I might have a little pneumonia, but, um, but I feel like very positive and strong right now. And I think my main thing is being here is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. Googling COVID toes is not the best medicine. <laughs> no. And the acupuncture points are on your sternum. Y- yeah. I mean, it might not be totally right, but it, this is what feels really good right here is just okay. putting that pressure. Well, I, what I'm, I want you to do that only because I want everyone else to remember how to do it. So as our lungs are opening, we're helping open your lungs. We'll send you more breath. Thank you. Okay. I love you. Love you. Thanks for coming back. Sure. Goodbye. In more, in more ways than one. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Rachel, is that right? Yes, Rachel. Hi. We've been I've been on the Lancaster retreat a few times. So I've met exactly. you there. Exactly. I recognize your face. I didn't I didn't recognize your name. I wasn't sure when I saw it, but I recognize your face from that. Um we also had COVID. We got it right at the beginning, mid March. Myself, my son and my husband. Oh. And my son and I were really quite ill for about six weeks. So I was just really feeling what that last lady said. Yeah. And apart from homeopathy, which we found to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, just sitting was the main thing that got me through it. Just brilliant at like just calming me down. Don't watch any news mm-hmm. and talk to people who are very centered and grounded and strong. Yeah, keep your, your system regulated quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But just sitting actually and just letting all the panic because it's so scary and just letting the panic just sort of, you know, come down yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Well, Along and with, with the breath. Um, with breathing, it's not even emotional or mental. Your body panics if you can't breathe. Yeah, it's horrible. On its own. But really so, oh. well, my question is about my mum, actually. So she was diagnosed with terminal cancer in January and yeah. um, given three to six months to live and then went on a trial drug and is actually doing quite well now. And so we don't really know how much longer she has. But it's interesting that I'm following Catherine because actually on the Lancaster retreat, Catherine talked about nursing her dad when he was dying and that they hadn't had an easy relationship. And it was quite difficult. And that's really what my question is about with my mum. It's just that we don't have an easy relationship. She's never really been there for me in the way that I wanted. I have like real guilt saying it out loud, but anyway, it's true. I have done a lot of work about the whole thing and, you know, I feel like I'm in an okay place, Mm -hmm. but because my brother, I only have one sibling and he died when he was 40 of cancer as well. So it's just me really on this journey with my mum in this, however long she's got left. And I just, 
I'm trying to be really compassionate and there for her in every way. And I know from Alex's experience that, you know, people can die a good death and that you can help them to do that. Mm -hmm. And I very much want to do that with my mum. But there's also this part of me that thinks, well, where were you? Where were you when I needed you? And where were you, you know, when I was little? And, you know, that side of me. So sure. it's like I wanted some advice, really, about how to be compassionate and fully there for her and go through this experience with her in the best possible way, but also kind of honor the part of me that's going, hang on a minute, where were you? Uh -huh. Well, actually you're describing the answer to your question quite nicely. <laughs> uh, you're letting us know that the part of you that carries the old pain and resentment and hurt does require a voice and wants to be able to be acknowledged and to speak. It's probably best that it not be with your mother mm. because that won't, it won't change anything. Nothing will no. change back, back then. And it's probably not going to help her now to bring up these things, but you can say it here. Like you have in front of so many people, you can say it to family members, a therapist, you know, anyone you want to speak to say, I just need to really be heard about this. This is what it was like for me. So that when you, return to your mom, you can be the way that you described your aspiration to be because your ability to be kind to her and to assist her is actually healing for the other stuff. It doesn't make it go away, but it starts, you can be the force of healing. It would be nice if she could have led you that way in the beginning, but it didn't happen that way. She was, she carried whatever damage she carried but you don't want to carry it on. Yeah. You'd like to let that go. And so it's actually a healing. It's your, it's, um, uh, forgiveness is a complicated word, but it is a form of forgiveness, not forgiving as in it's all okay. It means it's a slow letting go of and a healing of something that actually isn't happening anymore that happened mm -hmm. then. And it was bad then, but it's not happening now. Uh, and and the other thing is with, uh, that feels right. And with the process, it's like, cause she's quite a hysteric. It's like, how do, cause I feel like I'm trying to second guess all the time. What's coming next, what's coming next right. and to make it okay. And actually the sitting really helps me because I'm a control freak. And so, you know, I kind of just, the sitting allows me to just realize that actually, I don't know what's coming next. You know what I mean? It's just like, it is what it is. And I just have to be present. And that's really helpful for me. But I just wondered with, when somebody's sort of hysteric and the dying, and so that's kind of making it worse, how best to sort of be there in a kind of calm way? Be there in a calm way. <laughs> be, by your sitting and all the practices that you do, become the calm center around which she's going to spin because she's probably not going to change. No. And you're probably not going to be able to calm her down. You can do your best, but if you can become just a, a calm presence, knowing that she's going to die like she lived, yeah, you offer her an opportunity by being calm. Yeah, that's an opportunity she might take or she may not take. You, you don't get to make her have a good death. She's going to do that however she does it. But can you have? A, a loving course with her, even as she acts like she's always acted. If you can see her as how much she's suffering, how hard it must be for her, 
and have some compassion for someone who's caught in that. Mm. See her caught in her self-centered dream. Mm. It's painful. If you put yourself in her place, it's like, oh, that doesn't feel good. Mm. So it's just having the patience. That's the other thing, forbearance of just seeing her through it as she scrambles and wails and does whatever she does to the finish line. Mm. And that's the way it'll go. Thank you. And use the same practice as you did to get through COVID. It's the same thing. It's that the illness is now on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's it's wonderful to see you. And you. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. We have Catherine unfrozen now. There, she's back. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Well, this, is, this is the day of entry and, re- and ending, you know, the two chant. Yeah, the preparation for the ceremony. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, some people may not understand that, but that's exactly right, isn't it? <laughs> I was touched by what Rachel said, and it recalled me to my experiences. And I actually found that breaking it down into small things and doing small things like how you gave a cup of tea how you put the spoon in somebody's mouth Mm -hmm. the the nitty-gritty of it Mm -hmm. and that's where you put your focus and that helps you to keep out of the stories and they're very powerful stories but to me That's... that's the that's that's the secret of it in a way Well, it's a beautiful teaching, Catherine, because it's precisely the way that we learn our forms in Zen. We do each small thing carefully because it brings us to the moment rather than having some broad philosophical or theological kind of way. That's exactly the teachings. That's it. And that's how I, I think that's how I learned it. Ah, that's beautifully said. I'm glad you said that so Rachel could hear it. So that's useful. I learned it from retreats. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Continue to teach it. (laughs) It, It's so good to see you, and it's so. How's John? He's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're 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 plowing on. We're carrying on, carrying on. He continues to be John. Yeah. Thank you, Flynn. Thank you. I'm glad you came back. Thank you. I'm not sure how. Jessica does such a great job of managing all these things in the background. So when she comes on at the end, smile at her beautifully, even though she won't be able to see you. Send her your love. Hi, Susan. You're muted there. Okay, let me try that. There you go. That's better. Okay. Um, kind Kind of scary to see myself. (laughs) <laughs> I know um, the feeling. <laughs> I wanted to um, share, ask um, about a sense that I have of uh, th- going back to a survival mode emotionally, mm-hmm. which for me means that um, 
I'm back in my family of origin where you have to take care of yourself and life is just hard. Mm -hmm. That's an old tough. refrain. Get tough and, um, but it's up to you to take care of yourself. And so what's happened is that I seem to have blocked my capacity for compassion. Hmm. And if I, if I um, experience it, it's all because I decide that I need to be what is called compassionate, but I don't have the feeling of compassion. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if um, I'm engaged in some kind of faux activity that will eventually lead to a feeling, or um, if I just need to go proceed uh, as the way opens for me, which is into this kind of old pattern. Um, and I, I am at a point where I need some help. What, what do you want? I would like to have an open, a more open heart, a more available opening to suffering. Okay. And uh, how has it been today seeing the folks who are coming on talking to me and seeing me and listening to me? How's that been? Um, pretty much in my head. Okay. That's what I'm checking. I just want to see how, it, how it's going. I, I, uh, Clayton's experience was, uh, got, got to me a bit because yeah, I, could, you know, Clayton. So. Well, and I can put myself in her shoes and experience that kind of fear. And maybe that's what's going on and has been going on for a long time. Yeah. Well, there's something that, you know, and this is universal. This isn't just about you, but we're talking about your situation right okay. now, which is if, <clears throat> if we feel a barrier or a protection, a manager, whatever you want to call it, um, that's for a good reason. It's not for no reason. And the ones that we pull out of the closet and use are the ones we know. Right. And so you describe yours, but we each could have our own about, oh, when the going gets tough, we turn to our most basic, you know, defense mechanisms and things. And mm -hmm. you're describing that. But the reason that we're being protected is because something's really vulnerable. Yes. Or you wouldn't be using the protections. And so just to say, well, I want to take away this stuff. I want to feel again. It's like, well, hold on. Mm. Um, you have to be sensitive to what's vulnerable first. It's not because you're hard hearted it's because you're tender hearted that the protectors are there. Okay. Makes, yes. And so when you could feel a little bit, like you're putting your toe in the water with Clayton, you can feel a little melting there, gently. You can do the same thing with yourself, a little self-compassion. Mm -hmm. And so if you turn towards those parts who are protecting you, the old family patterns, the old, just get tough, uh, kind of a burdened, enduring. Right, you know, right turn toward those parts and say, oh, you're helping me again. Okay. And um, tell me about what's going on. Just start getting curious. Turn toward them with those qualities of kindness and character that I was speaking about. Yes. So that they can let you know what the problem is and why they're doing what they're doing without trying to get rid of them or make them stop. But they will, those parts of you then will begin to feel your care. And that might begin to make something possible. Okay. Unfreeze it. 
Yeah, yeah. And yeah. just you're coming on like this, having the courage to do so, to let us see you face to face. Because it, in Apamada, you were not reticent at all to come up. You come up all the time. Right. You know, and we've had a lot of time together and I haven't seen you in a while. So this is, there's some part of you that knows it's time to step forward a little bit. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes. And so I'll be thinking about you and hoping that there's a, a wholesome, gentle turn, not some, this got a problem we got to get rid of. Yes. That's actually yes. the attitude of the old family. You know? Yes. Right. Yeah, you, or, don't, you don't have a problem you got to get rid of. You have a sensitivity that's being protected because it could be that if those things were taken away, you'd just be brokenhearted with everything that's going on, you know? You're probably right. Yeah, yeah. Take good care of yourself. I will. Take Thanks. my love with you. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. These are things that I hope other people can hear and understand about their own protectors uh, rather than them being problems to solve or get rid of. They're indicators of something to turn toward. Oh, something's going on. Something's needed here. Uh, maybe we have one more person. I'm not sure. Here we go. Unmuting there, Becky. Working on finding your microphone. There you are. I think you got it. Great. You did it. Yes. <laughs> the extra challenge these days of this technology. <laughs> All of it is, yes. Yeah. Um, first of all, Flynn, I just want to thank you and, and the whole Sangha uh, for any number of things lately and inquiry that have been bringing me through various things. And, and part of it is because so much of my current work is set in the body. I really found that the one that you, that you where you did the save the body and Mm -hmm. The part where it was not, of course, not just my body, not just our bodies. It is the body of what we are connected yes. to. It is the whole body. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated that part hugely because that helped my own work in a lot of ways too, of course. Good. The other part last week, that I had a, an insight that I want to thank you for allowing the situation that caused that or whatever, um, is, is how important it is that when we seek or, or are present in order to receive refuge, how very important it is for us to never say, I can do it on my own, or, you know, I'm fine or whatever, because in some ways it's like we also owe it to the other I can never say it right but but the other of us who are becoming yes that that 
that they have that opportunity of actually gifting it. And so it's up to us to receive it as graciously and appreciatively as we can as something that's part of all of us together. Exactly. Exactly. It's a two-way yeah. thing. I don't know if you have ever um, been in a retreat or whenever we've uh, experienced this before, but you and I can enact it right now as a way to end our session. I think it'd be really useful. Uh, it, it, this first came to me when someone was asking me to help them understand the Sutra of Loving Kindness. And we were reading the Metta Sutta and you know, they were not quite, I said, and they said, well, I, I don't understand it with my body, like you're talking about. I said, okay, here's what we'll do. We're going to do a little short interaction. I'm going to do something and say something, and you do exactly the same thing and say exactly the same thing back to me. You willing to do that? Sure. Okay. So we're going to do this, and I'm going to do a little bow to you, and I'm going to say, thank you for being so kind to me. And you say the same thing back. Thank you for being so kind to me. And according to your teachings, here's the next one. Thank you for receiving my kindness. Thank you for receiving my kindness. And it takes both, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's, that's the embodiment of it. Thanks, Becky, for calling that forward. Yeah. And I see that we're right at the end of our time. Thank you all once again uh, for being here and for your wholehearted participation. Uh, we'll, we'll continue on. And I will, I will say, just because some people have asked me to um, say this as a reminder, some of you are um, aware that I'm doing a teaching at another uh, venue through Threshold Madison. Remember that, Threshold Madison. Um, it's ostensibly about photography. It's called Awaken by Beauty, Intimate Conversations about Contemplative Photography. But it's really more than that. Uh, it's really these kinds of teachings using uh, contemplative art photography as the medium. And some of my great friends are coming on. You can still sign up for it if you're interested. You'll get the the video recording of my presentation last week, which sets the stage. And then for three more weeks, I'll be with some of my, my friends, if you're curious. Threshold Madison, take a look at it if you want. And I will see you next week. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. And your support makes such a huge difference. There's a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you all.